0: Man, so good. Well, welcome you guys, we are so excited. Um, I think Daniel mentioned um, today's homecoming Sunday. And uh, we wanna celebrate all of our students coming back, but also uh, two years since we relaunched our vision as a church, uh, we moved into Levita two years ago and uh, what the Lord has done has been excellent. It's just blown all of our minds. And uh, our, our journey as a church, just to share with you guys who are new or, or this is your first time, uh, is we started actually almost, uh, seven, eight years ago as a house church. And, uh, the Lord started us just as a bunch of hungry young people seeking the Lord. And, uh, that eventually grew, uh, into a local church, uh, about five, six years ago. And, um, we've just been going and going and going. And two years ago, we were, uh, post COVID church. You guys remember that thing, uh, disappeared, um, Post COVID, our church was dying out, and we we're like, okay, like we've plowed for years. We're gonna go move to California, live on a beach, and just retire at early 20s. And we're uh, just it like, the, it's like our assignment is finished. And it was this moment where we're hit with a crossroad of who is Breakthrough Church? Who are we actually? It was at that moment that we prayed and the Lord uh, led us. We were an evening service church because we thought we were cool and we're trying to do something new and different and it doesn't work. Um, we're meeting at night times and all of our parents, like their kids, it was just chaos. So we've been praying for a morning uh, service and uh, we ended up getting connected with Levita, and it was such a beautiful thing. We moved in here. The Lord gave us fresh vision that our heart is presence, family mission, that we wanna be a family Who's living on mission to further his presence on the earth, and that's what we're going after. So that was two years ago. We're a church dying out, maybe 20 people. The Lord has just breathed on it and sustained it, and it's been such a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness, right? Psalm 127 says Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And our desire is that the Lord will build this house. The Lord will build this house. Are right, you guys ready to jump in? I'm ready. Can we turn this up a little bit? Thank you. So I wanna start with this question. Do you know what the most important thing about you is? What is the most important thing about you? Let me start to think, is it my wealth, my success, my habits, my relationships? What, what, is, what is the most important thing about you, what I'd say the most important thing about you is simply how you see God. Above everything else, above your successes, your natural abilities, your giftings, the most important thing about you is how you see God. Because how you see him will dictate everything else about you. The how you see him will result in what you believe, which affects how you behave, which results in who you become. Starts with how you see. Show me the fruit of your life, and I'll show you how you see God. Look at the fruit of your life and what is bearing. Does it look like the fruit of the Spirit? which, by the way, is the nature of Jesus. Am I bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Or am I bearing unhealthy fruit? And I think that we've made the Christian walk far too complicated. Jesus says this line, that we all kind of love and hate at the same time, right? He says, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. We love that, but at the same time we're like, but is it? <laughs> If you follow Jesus long enough, you're like, it's kind of heavy and difficult, not, you know, easy and light. But I think the reason that relationships with Jesus become heavy and difficult is because we're focusing on the wrong thing. Now, I'm not saying it's not gonna take sacrifice and perseverance and endurance, and you're not gonna face trials. Of course you are. But Jesus, does Jesus lie? So if he says my yoke is easy, my burden is light, then we're either wrong about this relationship thing, or he is, and I know he's not. So it feels heavy and difficult it's because we are focusing on the wrong thing. We focus on trying to become right. Anyone ever do that? Man, I just I just need to I just need to become a better version of myself. Hashtag, right? better version of me, new year, new me. That's not Christianity. You're actually supposed to become more like Jesus and less of yourself. We focus on trying to become right. We focus on trying to behave right. Don't ever do that. We just need to stop sitting. We focus everything on trying to believe right, which these aren't wrong things, but we get the order wrong. The goal is much more simple. It starts by trying to see right. I say to this side of the room, it starts by focusing on trying to see right. Because how you see God will dictate everything else about you. So let's go to Luke 24, 13. Chapter, uh, t- chapter 24, verse 13. And we're gonna read this story. This is a story a lot of us know. And I wanna unpack this. I wanna camp out on this passage for the rest of this morning. But Luke 24, 13 to 32, to give you guys context, this is Resurrection Sunday. This is the day Jesus walked out of the grave, trampled death and hell and the devil. He took the keys back from the enemy and he purchased your freedom and he is alive and he's living. I'm not getting any amends. And he is active and he is moving. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is the reality in which we live. We're not living before the cross, we're living after the grave, come on. And in Luke 24, verse 13, we see one of the, the few things Jesus does on his first day. Son of God, Feated, hell, sin in the grave. The first things we see appears to Mary, Magdalene, another woman. And this is actually the third interaction Jesus has that we know from scripture. So let's dive in, it says this, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Can you say Emmaus? About seven miles from Jerusalem, which is where Jesus uh, was crucified. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up, straight up Jehovah sneaky them, came up and walked along with them. It's two men. They're followers of Jesus. They saw him do miracles. They're listening to his teachings. They're probably traveling around with him. And they're, li- they're leaving the capital. They witness the crucifixion, everything they were putting their hope in was just completely destroyed right in front of them. Imagine you building your life on an idea of who God is. (laughs) But when you're faced with the reality, does this line up with what God is like? And it doesn't, it's not gonna be a firm foundation. So they're leaving, they're downcast. And Jesus says, hey, what's up? But what's interesting out of all the things Jesus does on his first day is he goes for a walk. I'm like, if I was Jesus, I would've been running in Jerusalem. Been like, Pilate, I told you so. (laughs) Pharisees. You see me now? <laughs> but no, he just went for a walk. But not only did he go for a walk, he went on a walk to a pretty insignificant place. Jerusalem was the capital. That was the place 40 days from his resurrection, the Holy Spirit was about to come. He's about to ascend to the Father. You think he would camp out in Jerusalem, started stirring things up, but he left the city he goes to this village called Emmaus, which we know it's not that significant because no one really knows where it is anymore. Wasn't significant enough for us to remember. What's even more so, he stops to talk to these two people who also are pretty insignificant in the sense that we don't know anything about them. They're never repeated before or after this moment. You think, man, he would show up to the celebrities of the time, the people that can shout him out the most, that's gonna spread who he is, but he shows up to these insignificant people in heading to an insignificant place. He goes for a walk, and I want you to see just how mundane that is. (laughs) Some of you guys are scared of the mundane, chasing the high, the high moments, encounters, which are all beautiful. We just did that. But he's just as much in the mundane as he is in the high moments. He went to the insignificant, and isn't that like Jesus? If Some of you guys, you, you, you've, you've, you believe that lie. Man, Jesus is just after the passionate ones. He's just after the, the ones who are just going crazy and worship. I'm over here still processing my trauma and it's hard for me to press in. I'm in the back and I'm seeing all these people and man, Jesus is after them and I'm just stuck and I'm just, oh, uh, I'm just, oh, uh, oh. Uh, uh, and you're just in that place. But no, Jesus is after the insignificant ones. Let's keep going in verse 16. It says this, but they were kept from recognizing him. Guys, this passage is like one of the craziest stories in scriptures. So he appears, and they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them this question, which I think is really funny. It's like, what are you guys talking about? They're like processing, man, Jesus wasn't who he said he was. We just wasted three years of our life. I thought salvation and deliverance was coming to Israel. I thought Rome was gonna be defeated, and we're walking Jesus Knows they're talking about him. He's like, what are you guys talking about? I think Jesus asks questions not because he wants answers, but he wants connection. So they're kept from recognizing him. And he asks, why are you, what are you discussing together as you walk along? It says, they stood still, their faces downcast. Their heart was broken. They're depressed. I want you to see this. God was in their midst, <laughs> yet they lacked the ability to see him. God was in their midst, yet they lacked the ability to see him. How is that possible? He's God. It may seem crazy, like, what's wrong with these people? It's literally Jesus, like, come on. But then we're faced with the fact that we do the exact same thing all the time. (laughs) God is in our midst. We don't recognize him. The many of us miss the opportunity to recognize God's presence in our lives. Like I said, we only seek him in the mountaintops, not in the valleys. Only when life is easy and convenient, but not when we're under pressure. Only in powerful moments in worship at church, but not when we're in the mundane, changing a diaper, washing the dishes. So remember, Jesus is after and in the things that may seem insignificant. And so these two people were walking back home, consumed with disappointment and hopelessness, What's interesting is that in the text, we actually see God allows their disappointment to keep them from recognizing Jesus. Why? Why not just tell them from the beginning who he is so he doesn't have to walk seven miles? That's what I would have done. I wanna walk seven miles on Jesus. For us to get this, we have to understand the word recognize here In Greek, it means to perceive, to understand, or to know. But I believe that Jesus hid his ability for them to see him naturally because Jesus didn't want them to simply recognize him, but he wanted them to actually know him. To see God means to know God to see God means to know God right Jesus says blessed are the pure in heart for they will what see God and so this is why Jesus walked this road with them because he wanted to fix the lens in which they saw who he was which again is the most important thing about you so today's sermon is called the road to knowing him, the road to knowing him. Verse 18, let's keep going. It says this, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that had happened there in these days? The irony, right? (laughs) Jesus is like, what are you guys talking about? Like, did you not see the most viral thing that's happened? And again, these two men are called followers of Jesus. They heard him teach, they saw him do miracles, they were expecting him to deliver Israel, yet as we see here, they didn't actually know him. They say that he was just a prophet who's powerful indeed. They didn't have the full full picture of who Jesus actually was. Because here's the thing, guys, it didn't matter if they recognized him with their eyes because in their hearts they didn't even know who he was. Man, I used to say this all the time. Man, if Jesus showed up like he did in the Old Testament, I would just follow him better. (laughs) If I saw food appear in my fridge, miraculously, I would follow him better. If I saw a sea's part and if I saw miracles all the time, man, I would just follow him better. (laughs) But we don't follow him based on what he does, but based on who he is. And if we aren't following him based on who he is, then everything else doesn't matter. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says this. He says, I pray that the eyes, put your hand on your heart, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Come on. In order that you may know, say no, No. the hope, which is Jesus, to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his Holy people, if you struggle with seeing God and knowing God, pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of my heart that I might be enlightened to know you. So back to verse 21, (laughs) it's my favorite part. They're talking to Jesus. Jesus is just listening and they say this thing. They say, but we had hoped That he was. (laughs) But we had hoped that he was. We had hoped that he was. We had hoped that he was. Guys, you will continue to live in bondage and never truly know him if you only believe that he was. Because the truth is, and says that he is, his name isn't I was, it's I am. And what happens is for so many of us, we have... An ideology about Jesus where we know about the story, but we still think he's in the grave. (laughs) I know my Sunday school teacher, Miss Diana said, on the third day Jesus rose from the dead, but in my heart, it's not enlightened to that reality. Because how you see him will dictate how you live if you still see him in the grave, huh. what's that gonna say about you? If the very person that we are laying our life down and, and, and following, well, is dead, then we're just following him to the grave. But here's the thing that we need to understand about Jesus. Jesus isn't a philosophy, he's a person. And every time we gather and we worship, we say, we're not here gathering around a philosophy. We're gathering around a person. That's why we can worship the way that we do, not because we're just emotional and we we don't know how to handle our emotions and we're just whatever, shaky, 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 but because we actually believe he's a person. Because here's the thing, guys, if, we, if we're worshiping and we don't believe he's a person, that he's living and he's active, he's moving and his spirit is in you and he wants to dwell among you and we're two or more gathered, he's in your midst. And if we worship him like he's still in the grave, and what does that say about how you live? Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. Say that again. Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. His presence isn't behind a veil, it left the temple. He is, say he is. He is. Not he was, say he is. he is. Living and active, moving and breathing. Unfortunately, most of our churches have turned into funeral services. Man, we're talking about this guy who died 2,000 years ago. Miss that guy. Let's sing songs about him. Guys, we don't sing about Jesus, we sing to Jesus. Church is not meant to be a funeral service, a gathering in memory of someone that we think is still in the grave. It's supposed to be a celebration for us to sit at the feet of the resurrected king who is, say he is, no longer in the grave and desires to dwell amongst his people. That's why we gather. All right, verse 22, let's keep going. You guys okay? We're just getting started. It says this, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. I wonder why. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. They did not see Jesus. And here's the thing, guys, you can't base your relationship with Jesus simply on facts and information. Like these women told us the facts that he wasn't in the grave, yet yeah, they're still walking downcast. And they still didn't recognize the very one they were waiting, who was in their midst the entire time. That simply facts and information and knowing about Jesus won't sustain you through disappointment and loss. Information can't do that, but a person can. That Jesus tangible presence in your life can sustain you. I wanna read Ephesians 118 again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope in which he has called you. Do you know what you're called? When you observe someone's life and you know everything about them, but don't actually have a personal relationship with them. You know what you're called? Called a stalker. (laughs) Don't be that. That was for free. All right. Verse 25. It says this. He said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory in the beginning with Moses and the prophets explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning himself. So on this seven mile journey, Jesus walked them through scripture, revealing that it all points to him in the garden, through the Passover lamb, through the tabernacle and King David, through the prophets, it's all about him. That Jesus is revealing to, him, to them who he actually is. That this person that they have been following wasn't just a prophet. He isn't just a good teacher. He isn't just someone that can help you get to heaven. <laughs> so much more. He wasn't just a prophet who speaks the word of God. He is the word of God. I love this because Jesus highlights here the importance of reading scripture to know him. However, it cannot be understood apart from him. Guys, without the Holy Spirit, scripture is just an empty book. If you wanna cheat code to actually feasting on the word, do it in his presence, do it with him, right? Not cliche thing, it's the only book that the author sits and reads it with you. It's true. Invite him to teach you and guide you into all truths. Verse 28. It says this. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But well, they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in. To stay with them. It's interesting. Something started to shake. Something started to shift. The scales were slowly starting to fall off. Another translation says that they begged him to stay. They were so moved by his exposition of the Old Testament. They're like, this isn't, this isn't just a normal person. Something is here. There was a hunger that they were desperate and hungry to be with this mysterious person that they didn't fully know because there was something significant. I read a commentary. It said that without an invitation, Jesus would have would, would have not stayed. He would have kept walking. But the two had been more than impressed with the way he taught them scripture. and As a result, they constrained him to stay. Guys, what would your life look like if you stopped living in independence from God and invited Him to take residence in your life? What if you stopped living in independence from God but invited Him to take a residence in every part of your life? We wonder why we make decisions and it has bad consequences when we do it apart from God. Leonard Ravenhill was a teacher, theologian, revivalist, taught on revival and fasting and prayer in the UK. Crazy man of God, near the end of his life, his wife said that he would pray sometimes for 18 hours a day. He says this quote that I love. He says, I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. I look them straight in the eye and say, does Christ live inside of you? Listen, if a man is really born again of the spirit of God, it is the most radical thing this side of eternity. That's great you're saved, but does Jesus take a residence in your life? Not just in a back room, sitting on a chair in the closet, but is he sitting on the throne, the center of your life? Because we say that, king of my heart, right? We sing that song. But when we actually start to live, when we actually start to face things, then we actually see what's underneath the surface. Is Jesus actually sitting in the center? Because guys, it's amazing that you're saved and going to heaven. Congratulations. but he has so much more. Scripture says that this is eternity. To simply know God and the one whom he sent, Jesus Christ. That eternity isn't a destination, it's a person. I heard someone say that, Jesus doesn't live in eternity, eternity lives in Jesus. This is the one that we gather around. This is the one that we lay our down for. So going back to verse 29, it says that they urged him strongly, that if you want his presence in your life, not just on Sundays, but in the mundane, the precursor is a longing and a hunger for him to be with you. You guys know that song Holy Spirit it was like the big song, like 2016. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, Can flood this place with the atmosphere. You know that song? I remember when I first heard that song, I was like, that's wrong. I was very cynical back then, I guess, but I was like, that's not, like, that's not theologically correct. We're like, he's already, he's already here, why do we need to welcome him in, right? That was what I was thinking. A lot of you maybe have that mindset. We'll break it. <laughs> why, why do we need to welcome him if he's already here? Like, that's just bad theology, right? No. We welcome God in our midst, not because he's not here, but because we don't recognize that he's here. That when we welcome him, we say, Jesus, come, right? You may have heard me praying and like, why does he keep saying Jesus, come? Jesus is already here. I'm like, yeah, but you don't realize it yet. I don't realize it yet. We don't welcome God in our midst because he's not here, but because we don't recognize that he's here. All right, we're almost done. You guys okay? Okay. Verse 30. Oh, this is a good part. I'm gonna have keys come up for this. Verse 30 says this. Jesus is walking with these two guys, started the seven mile journey, which is about two and a half hours. They're downcast, they're brokenhearted. they're depressed. And Jesus shows up in this insignificant place with these insignificant people and he's walking with them and he's revealing and opening their eyes for the person they thought they were following because who they're following wasn't actually the right person. So he's opening scripture, he's showing them this is who the Messiah is, you have had it wrong. That's awesome that you wanna follow Jesus but it doesn't matter if you're following a wrong view of Jesus. So he opens up the scriptures with them and he's walking and they finally arrive in Emmaus. They're either at their home or maybe an inn and he's just walking and walking and walking and walking and walking. And they're like, we don't want, like there's something about this guy's presence. I, I don't want him to leave. You guys ever feel that when you're in worship? Man, I don't want this moment to leave invite him in it says here verse 30 when he was at the table with them he took bread, gave thanks broke it and began to give it to them then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight told you this is a crazy story So what's interesting here, traditionally during Jewish dinners, the bread being broken was commonly done before the meal during the prayer of Thanksgiving. So they're probably hanging out in the home, they're cooking together. Before they eat, they have this tradition of breaking the bread as a prayer of Thanksgiving. But what is so important to notice that the role of breaking the bread is the role of the host, not the guest. But in this moment, the guest was the host. You didn't get it. They invited him in as their guest, but once he's invited in, he takes over. He becomes the host. shows us that our role is to simply hunger and thirst and invite him in so that he can then be the host so that he can take over so that he can lead so that he can walk us down the road to knowing him and it's really interesting I, I i meditate on this passage for hours and i was like why why was it not when they first saw him why was it not when they're opening the scripture for maybe two hours why was it when Jesus did this one thing it wasn't until he finally took the bread and broke it that they recognized him it was not until he broke the bread that they recognized him You know what I think? Why it wasn't till this moment? It's because as he broke, as he grabbed the bread and he lifted it and he broke it. What did they see? What did they see? They saw the holes in his hands that as they heard the bread breaking, they realized this wasn't just an ordinary person, that those scars aren't ordinary scars. There's only scars that people get when they're hung on a cross, but no one can survive that, yet as the bread was broken, they see the bread of life being whole in front of them. And guys, this, this wrecked me. as they saw the scars and they heard the breaking of the bread, they realized the body that was broken for all humanity is standing before them whole. A God that felt distant and silent was walking with them this whole time. The disappointment and hopelessness they carried when they finally saw him Disappointment and hopelessness that they carried disappeared when they finally saw him. But not only that, they finally knew him. This Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He's the lamb who took the sins of the world away. And in those scars, something shifted. This is a God who loves us. This is a God who sacrificed his life so that I can be whole. This is a God who hung fully barren and took my punishment. I want you guys to feel this in your heart. That took the shame and punishment that you deserve, that took the very thing that you should have deserved. And on the cross, he bridged the gap of separation between you and the father that you could never earn it. You did not deserve it, but he took your place so that you can know him. That Jesus made God knowable. He made God accessible. And in his hands, and through his scars, this is why we're singing about the blood because it's only in seeing the sacrifice of Jesus that we can actually know him. That if you feel that God doesn't love you, look at the cross. If you feel like God wasn't there for you when you were young, look at the cross that was there 2000 years ago. If you feel hopeless and in despair that no one cares about you, look at the cross that through the nails and holes in his hands do we see everything else. verse 32. He disappeared and they asked each other, love this, We're not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Were not our hearts burning within us? How did we miss it? We're not our hearts burning within us. And I want you to hear this. Only Jesus can take our cold, lukewarm, depressed, sad, apathetic hearts and walk us on a journey and set that heart on fire. This is what he wants to do with you. I want to tell you, Liberty students, Lynchburg college students, college students in the room, you didn't come here to get a degree. (laughs) You thought you did. But Jesus sneaked up right behind you. He snuck up. He said, this road we're walking is for one reason. And it's for you to know me. That's it. That you're here in Lynchburg if you're a local you're here at Breakthrough that's my son bless him Jesus Shonda Um, you're here because Jesus has invited you to know him amen amen worship team you guys got something we'll make something come on We have a ministry team. Can our ministry team stand up? We don't have a lot of space. I'm gonna have our ministry team actually stand right here. And uh, we have amazing ministry team that are equipped to pray for you, to walk you through. If you are going through something right now, if you're hearing this, you're like, man, my heart has been so cold and stale and lukewarm. I need to be set on fire for Jesus. I want you to come here and receive prayer. If you're walking through something, if you're mourning something, if you're processing something, and and you're longing for Jesus but you feel stuck, I want you to come and receive prayer. So I'll stand up. Father, would you come? Would you take over? Would you be the host? Would you reveal the holes in your hands? And would your sacrifice become fresh again? Would your sacrifice become real again? Lord, where our hearts have gone cold, would you set us on fire for you? Fix our eyes. Fix the lens in which we see you. And Lord, we want to see you clearly and see you rightly. Just press in for a few more minutes. Thank you, Jesus.